My name is Brian Shreyas. I'm the family pastor here at Fellowship Bible Church, and I invite you to open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. It's an honor to get to uh, continue in the series with you, uh, but I need to warn you, for the last few weeks, uh, we have had a fairly upbeat Paul. We've had him talking about generosity and giving and all the things that, that could happen when we give and a cheerful giver, and in chapter 10, Paul just switches. He goes from being very upbeat to being very focused on a particular issue, and so we're going to start with uh, 10.1, but before we start... I want to let you guys know my three application points right off the bat. I just want to get them out there so you can be thinking about them the whole way because I don't want you to forget them. And they're this. Fight, live, and boast. Okay? When you walk out of here tonight, I want you to be able to fight, live, and boast. Who thought they were going to come to church tonight? and hear how they can fight, live, and boast. So it's going to be kind of interesting. But the reason we have to fight, live, and boast is because we sometimes get questioned and we get criticized. People, um, all of us, have experienced what it's like for someone to uh, disrespect us and try to attack us, to, to feel like we are being accused. And in this section of text, Paul is accusing, or Paul is being accused by some people in Corinth, and he is finding out, or he is showing us how he is going to respond to that. And so let's begin in verse 10. And he begins with these three words, I, Paul, myself. Okay? It's a very interesting three words to put together. They all kind of mean the same thing, right? I, Paul, myself. What Paul is wanting to do, he's wanting to be very clear who's speaking. Okay, if you read 2 Corinthians chapter 1, he says this is, this letter is from Paul and from Timothy, and Timothy probably had some influence and some shaping on the way, on the things that were going on and on this letter, but Paul is making it very clear that when you're reading this section here, this isn't Timothy. In chapter 7, 8, 9, we see the name Titus. And Titus has come back to Paul and given him a really sterling report about the Corinthians and how they treated him. And he's saying, this isn't Titus. This is me. I, Paul, myself, entreat you. He's begging them. He really wants them to understand something. He's not just putting this out there. He's not just asking. He's saying, I I am begging you to understand what we're about to talk about. By the meekness and the gentleness of Christ, I who am humble when face to face with you, but bold towards you when I'm away. So he's kind of setting the stage for what this accusation is. People are saying, oh, that Paul, when he writes these letters, he is so bold. He is so strong. His pen is so strong. But when he's with us, he's just humble and he's just meek and he's all these things. And we don't need to listen to him. He continues in verse 2. I beg of you. That when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. And here we have it. Here is what Paul is upset about. Paul is upset that some people are saying he is walking according to the flesh. And he really says, I, I, I am coming to you as a loving father. First Corinthians 4, he views these as his, as his kids. He wants to be there with them and be gentle with them and be, and be meek with them. But he's saying, I, I don't want to have to come and be bold. But if I have to, I will. Because there's people who are saying, I'm walking according to the flesh. And then we get verse 3. 
for though we walk in the flesh. You see, Paul just is right off the bat saying, I got to let you know, I I am human. I am not perfect. I am going to make mistakes. There are going to be ways that I do things sometimes that may rub you the wrong way. But I need you to understand something. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. We may walk in the flesh, but what I am about to do here. This defense that I'm about to give, this war that we are entering in, this is not done in the flesh. Verse 4. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Weapons of warfare destroy. Paul is at war. It sounds like a fight. It sounds like a fight. But we need to fight with the correct weapons of warfare. You see, Paul says we're not waging war according to the flesh. We're going to destroy these arguments. Every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of Christ, everything that is going to hurt ministry, hinder ministry, we are going to attack it all. We're going to take all these things captive and turn them obedient to Christ. And we are at war against what is happening here. But we need to fight with the correct tools. And what are the correct tools? Look at verse 1. I, Paul, myself, entreat you by the meekness and the gentleness of Christ. You see, there's something about that that we don't like. When we want to wage war, when we want to fight, we want to grab our baseball bat and head into the glass house and start swinging away because we want to be right. We want to be vindicated. We want people to understand that we have been accused unfairly and we want to attack and be loud and be brash and make sure everyone knows that we're right. And Paul said, I want to fight like Christ. I want to fight with meekness and gentleness. But it's because we don't understand what meekness and gentleness are. You see that word meekness, what it means is cool under pressure. It means that you are calm, cool, collected, steady. You have something that comes and is, is causing you trouble and you don't just react. You don't act rashly. You just don't um, jump out and jump against. You take it in stride. You handle it well. It's a quality that we would love to have in leaders to be able to hear a complaint, to hear a criticism, be able to deal with it without being angry. And then we have the word gentle. In fact, gentle was a description that people wanted of their leaders. Do you want to know why people wanted to have gentleness in their leaders? Because of the phrase, off with their head. When leaders didn't like you, they had the power to kill you. You're not on my way, it's the highway. I'm going to destroy you. And so the ancients, they wanted their leaders to be gentle, to be kind, as like a loving father, to react in things in an appropriate and measured way. What Paul is saying, I have been offended. And I'm going to deal with the accusers. If you look in verse 6, he says, I am being ready to punish every disobedience. 
I'm going to go after that and call sin what sin is. But you group of Corinthians who are being influenced to move away from me and away from ministry because of these accusers, I'm coming at you as a dad. I'm coming at you with meekness and gentleness so that our relationship can be restored. You see, we see this in Jesus as well, right? Jesus is being uh, arrested and we, this is one of those moments that you're like, man, you don't go down without a fight. You need, to, you, you need to call up arms. And that's what Peter exactly thought, right? Peter pulled out the sword, tried to cut, a, he cut off a guy's ear. And Jesus said, Peter, put away your sword. We're not going to fight anymore. He healed the guy's ear. Because Jesus has an upside down kingdom of meekness and gentleness. It's not tame. It's not soft. It's not passive. It is active Warfare, but it's a different kind of weapon. I've tried to utilize this in my own ministry. And so if you are in a family, which all of you at some point are in a family, have been a family, or if you are in a work environment, you have been criticized or questioned at some point. Fairly or unfairly, you have gotten in a place where you have felt the need to defend yourself and someone either sends you an email or someone gives you a phone message or someone comes to you in person and they're all puffed up and they're upset and they're angry, how are you going to deal with that? My favorite's email. I love getting the email and it's got all these reasons about things because my response is the same every time. I never hit reply. I pick up my phone and I call. I say, hey, I just got your email, and I'm really concerned that you have some concerns. And I would really like to talk about them, and I'd really like to understand where you're coming from to see if there's some things I need to learn from you or to be able to point some things out of, uh, of the reason we're trying to do things the way we do. And I really hope we can come to some sort of consensus and solution that's going to be pleasing for everyone. And I can, I can feel the temperature in their room drop. Because what they're expecting is, well, if you don't like that, you can find somewhere else to go. That doesn't do anything. That doesn't advance the gospel. But when I pick up and, and I use gentleness and kindness and meekness with an individual, I've just gained a friend. I've just gained a partner in ministry who knows that if they have a concern, they can come and talk to me. I'm not going to make them feel shame. I'm not going to make them feel guilt. I just really want to work for what's best. It's the old-fashioned killing with kindness. But it's fighting with the proper weapons of war. And we need to equip ourselves to do that with the meekness and gentleness of Christ. But Paul's not done. He continues in verse 7. He says, look at what is before your eyes. And that is a phrase that I, I think we need to say to ourselves over and over again. Look at what is before your eyes. What is reality? What is real? Not what do you want to be true. Look at what is real. If anyone is confident that he is Christ's, let him remind himself that just as he is Christ, so also are we. If you belong to Christ, know that the same Christ who is leading you is the same Christ who is leading me. I, am getting, I have my authority from Christ. I have my backing from Christ. I am not just on my own. I belong to Christ. I know what reality is. 
Verse 8, for even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up, not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed. I didn't come here to destroy you. I'm not doing this ministry. I'm not bold when I'm away and humble when I'm there to, to destroy you. I want to build you up. I care about you. I am your spiritual father. And even if I boast a little too much, looking at verse 3, for though we walk in the flesh, he might have made some, uh, some mistakes. He says, the Lord gave me authority for building you up. Verse 9, I do not want to appear to be frightening you with my letters. It's not what I'm here to do. I'm not here to overwhelm you. I'm here to care for you. And so in the letter of 1 Corinthians, when we talk about food sacrifice to idols, when we talk about sexual immorality, when we talk about chaos and worship, when I'm dealing with all these issues, the reason I'm dealing with these issues is because I love you. And I want you to follow your call of Christ. And so I write these things so that you will change, not to frighten you, but to call you, to disciple you. But then he says in verse 10, For they say, his letters, and these are the accusers, are weighty and strong. His pen is mighty. He can write really well. But his bodily presence, it is weak. And his speech of no account. What they're saying is he's not dashing and he's not dynamic. And if he's not dashing and he's not dynamic, he's not a true apostle. We shouldn't follow him. You should follow me. We can hear the ridiculousness in the text. And though I'd like to believe that we're past the days of following people just because they're dashing and just because they're dynamic, we, we still fall prey to the same trap. That a lot of times when we look in leadership, when we look for things to follow, we go, oh, he's pretty. We don't look at the matters of the heart. You see, they weren't looking at what was before their eyes. They weren't looking at who Paul was and the call on his life. And people tried to point out some things that they thought were inconsistencies. And Paul follows this with verse 11. He says, let such a person understand that what we say by letter when absent, we do when present. If you are under the assumption that I'm going to come to you and I've been bold in my letter and I'm going to come and find you in disobedience and not be bold, you've got another thing coming. I'm going to practice what I preach. I'm going to put my money where my mouth is. I'm going to come and do that. I'm going to practice what I preach. Because Paul understood what reality was. He understood who God had called him to be. You see, in Acts chapter 9, when Paul is on the way to Damascus and he's blinded by God and Jesus appears to him and calls him, the next person Jesus talks to is not Paul, it's an Ananias. And Ananias is scared to death of Saul at that point. And God says, no, 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 you need to go and you need to minister to him because this. He needs to understand how much he is going to suffer for my name. And he is my chosen instrument to the Gentiles. Paul had a call on his life. He understood who he was and what he was called to do. He was living in reality. So he was able to check his ministry, look at his words, look at the way he preached and say, I am doing things in the right way. And so I can stand in opposition to the accusations. And so this is where we kind of need to step off the rail for a little bit and talk about what it means to live in reality. 
There are some of us, all of us at times, that when we are questioned and when we are criticized, instead of taking up our weapons to fight, we need to lay our weapons down and say, you know what, I need to hear that. That there is a husband or a wife or there is a pastor or a friend or a brother and sister of Christ who looks at you and sees an inconsistency in your life and says, brother, i got to talk to you about what I see. And when that happens, the correct response is to lay down and say, yes, I, I, I receive that. I need to repent. I need to be rebuked. I need to be changed in my ways. I'm not going to fight because I need to heal. I need to be transformed. Because we need to live in reality. Understanding who we are and what we're called to do. And take an honest account of our actions. You see, Paul is able to do that, and he understands that what's going on here in Corinth is not, is not good accusations. They are false accusations that are damaging the prospect of the gospel going out. So he is fighting that. And so when we are living in reality, we realize that, that, that things are not the way they should be. That is when we fight with the proper weapons of war. I think about it like arbitration. An arbitration is where you have two sides who are on opposite sides of an issue and you have a judge or an arbitrator and, and, and they're an independent third party and they listen to both cases and then they make a ruling. And I'm most familiar when it comes to arbitration, when it comes to baseball, and I, and I can explain it pretty clearly. Arbitration is where a player comes and sits on one side of the table and the team sits on the other side of the table and there's an independent third party. And the player comes and, and he has his document and he lays it out and says, I have done X, Y, and Z. And I have done this, 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 and this. And because of that, you owe me X amount of dollars. The judge hears that. And then the team comes. And the team's in a very weird kind of place because they hear the argument of the player. And then they say, well, you know, uh, you're really not that good. And you, you, you might have done this, this, but you didn't do this, this, and this. And we only want to pay you this amount of money. Both sides make their case, and the independent third party rules. There's no negotiation, there's no compromise. He picks the one he sees fits reality. And so when we come to a situation and we're, we're looking at an accusation, we need to understand what reality is. Are these criticisms and these questions that are coming up, are they valid? If they're valid, let's talk about it. There's some things I need to work on. If they are totally invalid, you fight with the proper weapons of war. But you must live in reality. Paul finishes this section in 12 through 18. He says, Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. They don't know what we're doing. I'm not even going to compare myself to them. But as for me, we will not boast beyond limits, but will boast only with regard to the area of influence God has assigned to us to reach even you. You see, Paul was called to go to the Gentiles. Paul was called to go to Corinth, and he was obedient. And he understood what his mission was and his reality was, and he went and he obeyed and he did it. It says in verse 14, For we are not overextending ourselves, taking credit for reaching you, as though we did not reach you. For we were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. 
Paul started this church. These accusers are out there saying, you shouldn't listen to Paul, you should listen to us. We're the reason things are going on because we're comparing ourselves with each other. And Paul's saying, we're not overextending ourselves when we claim you. We came and did ministry with you. We started the church there. I have a proven history as being a loving father to you. We were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel. We do not boast beyond limit in the labors of others. But our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged. Paul wanted the gospel to be in the Corinthians so that it would go through the Corinthians and then go beyond the Corinthians. And then Paul would be able to back away from what he's doing in Corinth because the gospel would be going out through that city in work that he couldn't claim anymore. He came and started it, but the people have carried it on. And Paul's saying, that is what I want. This is the desire of my heart that the gospel will continue to go out so that we may preach verse 16 the gospel in lands beyond you without boasting of work already done in another's area of influence and we read the book of romans we know where paul wanted to go paul wanted to go to spain at this point he was trying to get down to rome or to jerusalem because he was going to go from jerusalem and try to get to rome he wanted to go to spain with the gospel he wanted to continue to go but he wanted the gospel to continue to expand in corinth And he finishes this section with, Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. You see, Paul realizes that his ministry to the Corinthians, the ministry that's going out all over the known world at that time, it was not in the hands of the people. It was in the hands of the Savior. In 1 Corinthians, Paul writes them and says, What do you have that you did not receive? It's a rhetorical question. The obvious answer is nothing. We have nothing that we did not receive. Everything that we have came to us from God through Christ by the Spirit. And so we have nothing to hold on to. When we are being accused and criticized, I don't need to worry about my reputation. I don't need to worry about my army and my kingdom. What I need to worry about is the Lord's ministry. Because if I'm going to boast in anything, if I have anything, I have Jesus. One of my favorite songs has a closing lyric that says this. As I stand on the edges of Jordan with the saints and the angels beside, when my body is healed and the glory revealed, Still, I can boast only Christ. There is nothing in this world that I have to boast in. And so we need to boast in things that matter. We need to boast in our Savior. We need to be consumed with His gospel. We don't need to be consumed with commending ourselves, making ourselves look good to one another. That is what the Lord is going to do. The Lord will commend us one day for being His good and faithful servants. But when we are in this world, we have a job to do. And when accusations and criticism and questioning come our way, we are to say, how can we use those things to be an avenue for the gospel? Think about David and Goliath. Goliath came out, tallest man who's ever lived, and he boasted in his sword and his spear and his shield and his armor and his muscles. And I like to think he said, fee, fi, fo, fum. And David came out and said, what? I don't come at you with all these things. I come at you in the name of the Lord, my God. 
Romans says, if God is for you, who can be against you? When we are about the gospel, our reputations don't matter. Our standing doesn't matter. But we respond to questioning and criticism by fighting, living, and boasting because we want the gospel to take root in these relationships. So I want to close with a story about Dan Cathy. Dan Cathy, you might know who that is. He's the CEO of a company called Chick-fil-A who make the best chicken sandwiches in the world. And last uh, fall or late summer, he was giving an interview and he was asked a question that's a hot button issue and he responded with his his belief, what he views as his biblical belief, and he got crushed for it. And the issue is not why we're talking about this, but he got crushed in the media and by organizations and people were protesting him, protesting the company and calling for boycotts. And Dan Cathy really had some decisions to make. And when you have billions of dollars, you can pretty much make some good decisions, right? If he wanted to, he had the avenues to go on television and to be loud and to come out swinging about what he viewed and what was right and why he wasn't going to back down, but he didn't do that. He could have taken a full-page ad in any newspaper across the country and given his stance even more, but he didn't, he didn't do that either. Well, of course he didn't do that. He didn't have to. He makes the best chicken sandwich in the world. Christians are going to line up and they're going to go there and he didn't have to worry about business. Yeah, he wasn't worried about that either. You see, what Dan Cathy did was he picked up his phone and he got the number of one of the most vocal opposition people against him called him. When the person got the phone call, he was really trepidatious about answering it because he had no idea what was on the other end, but he answered it and they began to talk. And one phone call led to multiple phone calls and multiple phone calls led to multiple in-person meetings. And they met time after time trying to get an understanding of each other Why are you believing what you believe? Why do you believe what you believe? Why did you do this? Why do you do this? And they began to at least have an understanding of each other. So how did it turn out, right? That's what everyone wants to know. What happened? Nothing. Dan Cathy and this other gentleman, they left all those conversations. Neither had changed the viewpoint of the other. But they did leave with one new thing. They left with a friendship. And on New Year's Eve, when most of us were in our homes or at someone's house getting ready for a party to ring in the new year, Dan Cathy found himself on the sidelines of the Chick-fil-A Bowl with his new friend, enjoying a football game together. Why would he do that? I believe Dan Cathy understands why he's here. You see, Dan Cathy lives in reality. He understands that his mission is not to make the best chicken sandwich in the world. It's to be a light for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he had some people make accusations about him, and so he he killed them with kindness. Through the meekness and the gentleness of Christ, he picked up the phone and made a phone call, and at the end of the day had a friend instead of an enemy. Because what Dan Cathy knows is that the only thing we have to boast in is Jesus. And by trying to have a relationship, there's now an avenue for the gospel. Is he going to win the day and is everyone going to come to Christ? Probably not. 
But is there a chance now that that person might hear Jesus in a way that he wouldn't hear him before? Absolutely. And that is what we can do when we respond to criticism and questioning. When we can get over our reputation, when we can get over that feeling that I've got to be right, when we can get over that I need to protect myself and start saying, how can I respond so that the gospel can be in me, through me, and beyond me? Because that is our mission. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the Apostle Paul and for his ministry. And thank you that he wrote this letter to the Corinthians and he shows us how to deal with accusations and criticism. Father, it's his language. He says there's weapons of war. We need to fight that in some times. And Father, we need to understand who we are and what we're doing and we need to be able to take stock of our lives. But at the end of the day, we boast only in Christ. Father, may he be our loudest shout. May Jesus be the reason why we live and move and breathe. And may he be more important in our relationships than our standing or reputation. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.